Welcome to Hustle Up's The Big Break, where we talk to showrunners, directors, executives, producers, and other talented people working in the entertainment industry about how they got their start and what they've done to fast forward their creative careers. I'm H. Schuster, the founder and CEO of Hustle Up, a professional network that connects creative talent with each other and with the production companies and entertainment companies that need to staff them. Today, I'm breaking it down with Todd Milner, an Emmy Award-winning writer and producer who co-founded Hazy Mills Productions with Sean Hayes. Todd has produced over 400 hours of TV, two dozen stage productions, a feature film, what hasn't Todd done? Join us for this episode of Hustle Up's The Big Break. Todd Milner is an Emmy Award-winning producer and writer who co-founded Hazy Mills Productions with Sean Hayes in 2004. His TV credits include NBC's Grimm, hit sitcom Hot in Cleveland, NBC's long-running Hollywood Game Night, and Netflix queer crime-fighting animated series Q-Force. He also co-wrote the Emmy Award-winning 64th Annual Tony Awards and produced 20, the 26th Screen Actors Guild Awards. Todd is an Ovation Award-winning theatrical producer as well of The Color Purple and Take Me Out. And on Broadway, Hazy Mills produced SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical, which garnered 14 Tony noms, and Doug Wright's new play, Goodnight Oscar, which just opened on April 24th. Earlier in his career, Todd performed and taught at the world-famous Second City Theater for five years, and he's written and directed eight original sketch shows for the LGBTQ nonprofit Celebration Theater, where he also served on the board. In his spare time, uh, I'm not sure there's a lot of that, uh, Todd just wrote his first YA novel called Time Out that hits shelves this May. I'm so excited to talk about all the cool projects you're working on. Welcome, Todd Milner, and thank you for breaking it down with us today. Oh, thank you. Uh, I don't know when to talk. When, when, oh, when the audience You know, you have down. to wait for the audience to quiet okay. down. They go a little okay. crazy if you try to talk over them. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's mayhem. Um, thanks so much for being here. You know, um, I, I actually want to start out talking about, uh, let's talk about the theater. Um, post-quarantine, theater is really back. Um, and it's also, interestingly, becoming all the rage for celebrities to start investing in Broadway-bound productions. But you and Sean have been doing this for a long time. Tell us about how your company and you got involved in, in theater. Uh, sure. Well, it's, you know, both Sean and I come from the theater. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I was not really a very good actor when I lived in Chicago. So I, I found my, 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 my place in the theater was in the improv and sketch world. And, yeah. uh, but my partner, Michael, is a stage director. So if I didn't get involved more actively in theater, I think I would have, uh, there would have been problems at home. He would, uh, he would have dragged you in. He would have dragged exactly. you in. <laughs> uh, and I'm a great, uh, I, I, have a, I have a great fondness for theater. And Sean, on the, on the other hand, has been more traditionally involved in theater. I mean, he was, he was a, uh, a, a orchestra director, I guess, is that what you call it, at a dinner theater in That's amazing. Chicago. Yeah, years ago. In fact, we wrote a, we wrote a pilot about it and uh, sold it to HBO Max. It did, I, I don't know what, it, it never went anywhere, but it, the world was super interesting to us. And I so feel Sean like that involved. would be a hilarious, uh, yeah. like Christopher Guest-esque kind of world to explore. That's exactly right. right? Um, um, that's awesome. Tell us about so, yeah. tell us about the new production about Goodnight Oscar, which just opened on Broadway. I worked with Doug Wright and Lisa Peterson, the director, a million years ago when I was working at New York Theater Workshop, and they were part of what we called our Usual Suspects. And they're an amazing creative team. Um, tell us tell us about the process of putting that team together and, and getting the show to Broadway. Sure. Well, Sean, you know, was told by a couple of folks over a decade ago that he should play. Uh, Oscar Levant, this character, this this uh, this raconteur, best friend of Gershwin, if you don't know who he is, 
Uh, uh, People are going to know who he is now yes. that the play is out. I have a feeling, right? He's going to become Absolutely. more of a household name. Yeah. Absolutely. And and so and I and I know that at the time, Steven Spielberg was making a movie that Oscar Levant. I think of a Gershwin movie that Oscar Levant would have been a character in, and Sean got infatuated with playing Oscar Levant way back then. The movie never happened, but Sean's love of Oscar never went away. So we went to the Museum of Television History and. We looked at old reels of uh, of uh, Oscar on Jack Parr, and and then uh, one day, uh, I, a couple of producers that Sean's friendly with said, "What would you want to do on Broadway? What character would you like to play?" And he said, "Oscar Levant," and that started the process. And that's amazing. Uh, yeah, and then we found Doug Wright, who had a uh, equal equal fondness for the character, and uh, and the rest I'm is not history. surprised. I'm it. not surprised Doug had a fondness for that character, and I'm sure uh, I have not seen it yet, but I'm sure Doug wrote an amazing, uh, uh, an amazing version of it. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful. We're very, 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 very proud of that of that show and Sean's performance. And- well, Sean is being called a revelation, which uh, I aspire to some be somebody's <laughs> revelation. I mean, um, I'm, I'm curious, like, how did Lisa Peterson come to the project as the director, and what was it like working with her? I mean, obviously, this is a very character-driven show. You know, it's interesting that Lee Silverman was the original director, um, and we, you know, because this it, we we started the process, and then COVID, you know, all the stuff yeah. in the middle of it, and yeah, and uh, we, uh, Lee, and then Lee was busy. Because yep. she had another show at, uh, I think, uh, Williamstown or something. And she had to, she had two shows that, you know, once once COVID was over, everybody tried to get their shows back in the theater. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> and so uh, our producer set us up with, Lee. We, only, we only met one other person. And we met with Lisa. We fell in love. And yeah. she came on board and directed the Chicago version. And uh, I don't want to say it again, but the rest is history. That's awesome. I mean, and I think it's worth mentioning for for some of the people listening who may not know this, the process of getting to Broadway with uh, with a with a production with a stage production is is often a lengthy one, right? Um, yeah, and yeah. so, how long have you guys been working on on this production, on developing it and getting it ready? You know, I think actively probably about uh, uh, six years. Uh, yeah. You know, we wanted to do it over a decade ago, like I said, but actively. We've been working on it for about six years, and it ran it, and it, and that culminated with a run at the Goodman in Chicago uh, uh, last year. And, yeah, which and, is a great uh, a great feeder to Broadway, a great regional theater that that often brings shows to Broadway. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's very cool. And and so you know, you guys have produced a lot of theater, including SpongeBob and, and other shows. Is this your favorite one so far? What's what's the one that's nearest and dearest to your heart? I think this is our favorite because really, with SpongeBob, we were. You know, it was more of a financial commitment than it was yeah. an active, creative commitment. And this one was something that was you know, homegrown. Uh, Sean especially was very active in every step of the way. We have, I mean, we all have been active in it. Uh, yeah. So it does feel a little bit more like one of our kids. Uh, yeah. We love all yeah. of our kids, but this one is... Uh, <laughs> but this, this one, one made it to Broadway. <laughs> this one made it to Broadway. And we were actively part of it. We weren't able to ruin it. Right, right. That's right. Well, I mean, you and Sean have been partners for a long time. You started Hazy Mills in 2004. Tell us a little bit about how you met and, and how you decided to start a company together. That's a, that's a major commitment, right, to, to, to build a company together. How did you guys meet and, and then wind up as business partners? Yeah, it's funny. That it's a, it's a, not only is it a, kind of a, it's a major commitment to do together, but to be together for 20 years is, is yeah. you know, in, in this town, you know. 
Uh, well, any town, <laughs> twenty years, twenty years. <laughs> any town, any business, right? Yeah, but but certainly this one, it's 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 exactly. it's unusual, right? And I think you know, I think one of the things that's interesting, especially for our listeners, is how do you find that collaborative partner that you can do that with? You know, what what do you look for in a collaborator that you can build a company over twenty years with and build a relationship over twenty years with? How did how did you guys kind of come together on that? Well, it's. Uh... You know, we, we it's 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 kind of a, a an interesting story because Sean and I went to college together at Illinois State, and then so we knew each other as friends, and yeah. we were both actors. And I went to Chicago and struggled, and he went to California, and I kept seeing Super Bowl commercials with him in it, and I thought, oh shit, I thought I was funnier <laughs> than him. Uh, and uh, and then I flew out to L.A. to audition for Talk Soup back when it was Talk Soup. Yep. And, yep. With Greg and, Kinnear, uh, right? Wasn't Greg the right. first the first host? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't get that. But when I was here, I was talking to Sean about an idea for a TV show I had, and we sold that to Bravo uh, way back in the day before Bravo was. I mean, it was back when Bravo would show like Cirque, right? And, right, arts and science, <laughs> yeah. it, or, or, or arts yeah. and leisure, arts and leisure. Yes, yeah. yeah. And uh, but we sold that, and then we had an idea for another one, and I thought, oh, shoot, I, bet, I guess I better move here. And so we kind of became partners. We were friends first and became partners, and so there there was a little bit of a learning curve how to be business yeah. partners because it was a very different relationship. And I think we ended up finding our groove uh, uh, in the first couple of years because I, I I had a big corporate background and Sean had a big entertainment background. And I think so we really kind of complemented each other without trying. We didn't search for this relationship, but it became a very uh, functional and successful relationship in some ways. And uh, we didn't do I'm, it on purpose. <laughs> I think, you know, that's really interesting, though, what you just said is that you identified specific strengths that complement each other. And I think sometimes the problem with a partnership, especially in a creative endeavor, is that both partners want to be able to do everything, right? Both partners want to be able to make every decision or to be in charge of everything. And maybe that's the case in, in any profession, but certainly in, in I think, yeah. in entertainment. And I'm curious, like, it sounds like pretty naturally you guys recognized what the other one was good at. And did you give up guys, you know, kind of your lane? Did you give each other kind of a way to kind of uh, uh, own certain things? Yeah, yeah, we did. We 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 realized it pretty quickly that we both it wasn't even an effective use of our time to try to do everything. And yeah. we can, you know, we we each as individuals have different strengths and different uh development opportunities. And and as we grew, we found giving each other our lanes and giving each other our space to grow made each of us actively more successful. So, uh it's not that we don't talk about the things that we don't concentrate on together we yeah. we we share information and we we give feedback but we both also have an autonomy in the areas that are our greatest skill sets and i think that's made our company uh, at least it's provided a little bit of opportunity for longevity in a business that doesn't have a lot of that yeah that's really interesting i mean i think the other thing you just identified is respecting each other right is is having a, a mutual respect which i think uh, you know, is important in any relationship. Certainly, uh, my wife will tell you that. Um, <laughs> yeah, just if if somebody came to you today and said, "I'm looking for a partner that I can go the distance with in this business. I want to build a business with them." You know, what what would be the main thing that you would tell them to look for? What what advice would you give somebody who's looking for a creative partner? You know, that's interesting. I, I think that's it's kind of the same answer. Not, yeah. not not to be super boring, but I think it's. You know, it's complementary skills, but not only complementary skills, but shared values. You know, Sean and I 
share a set of core values uh, that existed beyond our partnership and our company. And I think, yeah. so it's yeah. those two things. We, we have, a, you know, and it helped us build our mission and our vision and hope, hopefully uh, created yeah. a brand. And it all starts, you know, for us, it starts with, you know, uh, you know, working hard and being nice. And, and so that's yeah. ours. I don't know what somebody else's is, but at least that was our, that was the entry into our, that's the ticket to ride at Hazy Mills. And yeah, then, yeah, there and, you go. <laughs> and then since we are a small company and, and since any partnership is in, you know, it's, it's a, it's a small company, you have to ha look for somebody with complementary skills and have a respect for those complementary skills and, and, and yeah. realize that each has a value. Okay. I need you to tell us the uh the the best Sean Hayes story that he will almost kill you for sharing. Oh my gosh, I wish I would have had this question ahead of time. The best <laughs> Sean Hayes story that he will almost kill you for sharing. Um I'm gonna have to think about that for a second. All right, all right, we're gonna come back to that. We're gonna come back to that. Really I'm 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 going through a bunch of Sean Hayes stories <laughs> that I absolutely would wind up dead if I shared. So I can't You gotta have a strong uh, filter for this one. <laughs> yeah. Um And then their partnership broke up oh, after they oh, did. Oh, you know what? Oh, okay, my favorite Sean my favorite Sean Hayes story, and maybe this will that that he will almost kill me for sharing, and maybe you'll be you'll get to do this if you go see the show uh, on Broadway. But he uh, had his business manager come to the stage door after a performance and brought brought his seven year old son, and okay. uh, and they went just to say hello and uh, and the seven year old you know where they were talking was great great performance and the seven year old says to Sean do you like my Crocs and Sean said aren't you glad there's an R in that um, and his business us... manager said <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get going <laughs> we're gonna get going I uh, you know Sean's Sean's sense of humor sometimes is a little bit. Uh, We'll, we'll just chalk it up to method acting. We'll talk. We'll, we'll chalk That's it up right. to method That's acting. Right. He was still. That's he was still right. in character. He was still That's in character. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> now, so, what was that first show that you guys sold to Bravo? What was what was that? The, the, the first show that we sold was something called Underexposed, and it was a short filmmaking competition where we would give each team a uh, a script that had no no gender, no sex. It was just character one, character two, and we would see what kind of movie they would make with the same lines of dialogue, with no descriptions. And I love this. It was so fun, and we shot a pilot. Uh, this is, this, it was so, uh, Jeff Gaspin, who was running Bravo at the time. Right, that's right. Uh, was, yeah. Gave us a pilot, and the judges for the films were, get ready for this, the judges for the films were Craig Zayden, who, uh, Academy Award wow. winner for Chicago. Yep. Uh, Trudy Styler, who has made lots of films in her own right. Uh, yep. And then John Favreau. Wow, that was that was an A list uh, judging panel. Uh, that yeah. sounds amazing. And and so was it standalone where in each episode somebody was going to win the the yeah. the competition? Yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. That that show is a show that I'm going to go find somewhere wherever it exists on, on Bravo.com. Uh, that sounds yeah. Great. I don't. Well, it was never released, but the uh, uh, you know they didn't pick it up to series. Sadly, we yeah. made it with R. J. Cutler. Um, it was a really, also really a, a, an accomplished filmmaker in his own right. You yeah. guys, you guys yeah. need to re revive that. I think that's the show you you take back out. Uh, it's yeah, the one that right? got away. We all have the one it, that we pitched is. and we loved and got away. I, I pitched a, I sold a pilot for an animated uh, prank show uh, to VH1. Uh, you know, I don't know, a zillion years ago, and we shot the whole thing. We had Craig Robinson, who you know did the Office for us. This was when I was at Reveille, and and it was so much fun. It was animated, and we sent real comedians into to public situations, and they had a goal where they had to accomplish getting someone to say something or do something. 
And and Craig would challenge them, and it was we we called it the you know the cheapest prank show on TV. And so uh, he would give them like ten dollars or whatever if they they managed to accomplish it. But the fun part was the minute they went into the scene, we would cut to, to flash animation so that we could do crazy things with the animation to highlight the the craziness of the audio. Uh, and and also it made it much easier to make a prank show because you have different uh, release standards. Right. But uh, but we made this great <laughs> pilot. We had so much fun with it. We had great comedians who did the pilot for us, friends of Craig's, and. Uh, and then, and then it was supposed to go to series, and then there was a regime change. You know how it works. There was a regime oh, change. Oh, it's always a regime change. It's always a regime <laughs> change. Uh, anyway, it did. It did not go, and and that's the one I keep thinking. I want to. I want to make that show someday, right? Uh, the, I, there's yeah, always the one. Um, so yeah, yeah, would that be yeah. your one, or is there another one that you guys did where you're like, I wanna, I want to eventually get back to that one? Yeah, I. You know, it's. Uh, I. You know, I think the one that got away. You know. My skill set is limited, um, and but one thing that I like to do is, is 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 come up with TV shows. And I remember when I I thought of the idea of Grimm like in the shower one day. I thought, you know, what would happen if the Grimm fairy tales were real? And I called Sean, and he's like, eh, I don't know. And so then I told him again like forty eight hours later, and he said, Brilliant! And so <laughs> so we sold it. But um, right after the, after he that, had Grimm his coffee on... by then. He was he was in a exactly. he, was, he was in a better space. <laughs> exactly. So that, but then, like two years later, after it was Grimm was on the air, I thought, what would happen if, um, like, all the things that we deal with in mental illness didn't just start? You know, they've been around forever. We just had yeah. come up with names and drugs and uh, right. and and therapy and all these kinds of things that have helped us get through some of this stuff. But but we've had problems forever, right? We just right. we figured out the labels for that. That's so right. I, I told I asked NBC, what would happen if it was basically the first therapist on the range? So wow. it was a Western with all the, the, the tropes of a Western. And, but right. think of like right. uh, Unforgiven if Gene Hackman had a therapist. Right. If Monk went to uh, uh, the Wild West. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and uh, we sold it and Carrie Aaron wrote the pilot script at NBC. Oh, and we wow. this close. And, uh, and now Carrie Aaron, you know, she creates Bates Motel and The Morning Show and she's gone and super famous. Yeah. And, yeah, that I, I that one's a great one, and I feel like also I don't know when you guys set that up, but I think that there's been a real sea change in the last few years around the stigma around mental illness yeah, too. So it right. feels very timely. It feels like it yeah. could be a very interesting subject matter to uh, to explore. Yeah. That's really interesting. I well, agree. this this is good. We should talk about TV. We've talked a lot about theater. You yep. guys <laughs> have produced both scripted and unscripted. You've been successful yeah. in both genres. Um, how challenging is it as a small company to kind of be able Able to do both and, and go back and forth like how what's what's your strategy there for being able to be that nimble really you know it's i don't you know there's nothing that's super revelational is that a word revelatory Revel- i like it. it is now revelatory revelatory, revelatory. There you go. I'm an English major from a state school, so forgive. Um, <laughs> but there's nothing. We're doing just revel- fine. We can edit things. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. There's nothing revelatory about what we did when we started out. But I, I looked at Sean and I said, "Why? You know, I think that what's going to happen when we start our company is that people are going to think that we are uh, a company that should be bringing multi-camera comedies to television. Yeah. You know, we've got Sean's most recognizable face of multi-cams, and so very early on, we made it an effort to sell a comedy, which was hot in Cleveland." And yep. a drama, which was grim, and those were right in the same time. And then we also sold Hollywood Game Night all at the same time because what, yep. what what happened? What we found in Hollywood and the world, people tend to paint you into a corner. That's right. <laughs> and, That's you right. know, and I, I think it's very appropriate for what we're talking about today. 
And so yeah. we wanted to make sure that people didn't just think of us as a, a one-trick pony. We, we, have, we have interests yeah. across genre. Why can't we produce shows across genres? So yep. we actively did that. And it allowed us now to pitch with some kind of credibility um, uh, across um, all genre. And, uh, and, and, and that I'm super proud of. Maybe the most proud thing of my, my career that we'd set that goal very early on yeah. that would allow us, I think, this kind of, again, this kind of longevity and this kind of ability to play in all kinds of playgrounds because I didn't just want to do one thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, I mean, I think that's the thing that everybody in our business struggles with, right, is getting pigeonholed and being told, yeah. well, you, because you're good at this thing, we're just going to keep offering you this thing, right? And we're, yeah, it, right. it really is right. a mark of incredible uh, uh, talent, I think, and success to be able to break through that, which you guys have done brilliantly. And I'm, I'm curious, we, we heard a little bit about how uh, Grimm, the idea for Grimm came about. Um, how did Hot in Cleveland come about? How did you guys yeah. develop that, that concept? Well, it's it's interesting. We were sitting down in a general with Suzanne Martin, who created Hot in Cleveland with us for yeah. us, and we, uh, you know, she just we started talking about you know our shared love for the Golden Girls, and and she yeah. had always been thinking about another and her own version of whatever that would be, and and uh, we, uh, you know, we at the time we had a first look deal with CBS, and they didn't think that you know a, a show about women of a certain age could go. Could, could get on the air, you know, because it's which is amazing like because CBS has the oldest audience, right? Like that's yeah, the fascinating yeah, part. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but you know, but it's in fairness to CBS and the and the folks there, you know, there's, there's this constant struggle to try to get the eighteen to thirty four, the to, you know, twenty four to yeah. twenty. Yeah. A lot of a lot of demos that I'm out of right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, exactly. I'm like, you know, the, the, as I move past those demos, they don't seem nearly as important as they used to. That's exactly right. Yeah. I'm in the 45 to 86. Is that a demo? Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, but, I but still buy stuff. I can, I can assure the advertisers I still spend a lot of money somehow, some way. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but then we sat down in a ge- uh, then in another general with, with Suzanne because we fell in love with her and the project and we developed it. And then we were sitting in a general with TV Land and they said, let's just do this. Like, That's we awesome. sold it without pitching the show. We were just talking, you know, Sean amazing. and I were in a general, and then, and then they just put their faith in that show, and Suzanne and us and Betty White and that group, and 130 episodes later, we, uh, or so, we were. I, I mean, I have to ask you, right? I mean, you worked with the awesome, amazing, incomparable Betty White. Now I, now I have to ask you for your best Betty White story. I mean, she just was so lovely to work with, was she not? She, you know, it's, there is not a better person, including uh, uh, me, to, to work with. Not a nicer, <laughs> a more yeah. respectful person. and Professional, uh, but funny. Yeah. Uh, professional and funny. And one day, we, and we had our, I think we had our 100th episode. Or, and she was, we had a cake. And she had said that it was, it was the best place she'd ever worked. And wow, that was awesome. probably, you know. That was that was that you know that is another uh, you know extremely prideful moment in my in my career. But that's the, best that's the compliment story. you put on the on the headstone, right? Like uh, Betty right. White oh. said. <laughs> exactly. My, yeah. my favorite Betty White stories were we were sitting at the um, at an award show. God bless, what award show was it? Uh, she won. Uh, <laughs> we're at an award show. We're, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm, we're, I'm next to her, I think. Uh, and, and so she's, and she's nominated. And I thought, and she, she, she loved hot dogs, 
pets and vodka. And <laughs> and but she she All loved at the a good, same time. And she and she she enjoyed a good drink. She did not abuse alcohol. She was right. a, she would have a drink or two every once in a while, but she loved it just the she loved just vodka rocks and she was she, her, her her needs were as simple as you'd hope they'd be from such a kind person. She did not have an That's extravagant amazing. living, and I think her kindness and her kindness to animals is is a lot. And her and her ability to work Legendary. all the way through the end, I think that's what that's that, I think yeah. that's the secret to living, if if you ask me. And uh, but we were sitting there and we were just talking about stuff, and I thought, and she had a drink, and I thought, oh gosh, I hope she, I hope, you know, you know, I hope you know if she gets up, uh, if she gets up there, is she going to be a little <laughs> tipsy? And if she, and then of course she wins. And she knocks it out of the. She's exactly the same as she is, whether she had a drink or not. Just a pro. Um, That's amazing. That's great. That's great. And obviously, Hollywood Game Night. You worked with another fantastic comedic actress, Jane Lynch, uh, yeah. and that that show was part of uh, you know her sort of career skyrocketing and so forth. And yeah. how did you guys develop that format? So you were busy doing all three of these shows at once. How did Hollywood Game Night kind of come to be? Well, we used to do game night at Sean's house, and yeah. uh, and I would create the games and host. So I like to tell Jane that she stole my Emmy because <laughs> they didn't let me host the NBC version. And the, the games would be a little a little edgier, I'd say, uh, yeah. at Sean's house. But but uh, one day the uh, head of NBC came to one of the Crocs games Crocs did not have an R in it in the games <laughs> That's, at Sean's that is house. Exactly right. <laughs> that is exactly right. But we, used to, we, we would do it probably once every couple of months. And then, then the people that would come would be just as diverse as the people that come on the show. And then one day the president of NBC came to one of the game nights. He said, I think this, we should think about developing this into a TV show. And, that's amazing. Uh, and that's how it started. That's it was great. a long process. And we got a couple of great producers on board, uh, the guys at Mission Control, uh, yep. and, and, and developed it. And, then, you know, it, oh, the, the best thing is we, we, we were doing the run-through, and we rented a house in the Hollywood Hills, and did a real run through and had a lot of our friends play the games, you know, Valerie, Bertinelli and Cedric and uh, and folks like that. And then Berlin was the house band. And oh, wow. it was such a lovely night. And Paul Telegdi, uh, who was the president of NBC or he was, I'm sorry, the head of all of NBC. Yep. Yeah. He just said, like, I think we should do this. And That's it was the it was a really, really wonderful, uh, unique mean- way of presenting a show. I mean, an organic and amazing, and and I think you know it. It goes to this is advice I got early on when when I was learning how to pitch, you know, and I was working with you know Ben Silverman and Howard and you know all those guys, and you know one of the one of the piece of advice was to always try, especially with a game show pitch, to always try and include the execs in the room. Never make them feel dumb for not knowing an answer or, or yep, anything like yep, that, but like make right. them feel the energy of playing the game, right? And 100%. you guys like completely did that. Like he was immersed in like an actual social event that, yeah, uh, yeah. that, that, you know, that, that went all the way to, to sort of, you know, show him what the fun in it could be. And I think the beauty of that show was that you really felt that when you watched it, you felt like you were watching these people just, it, it was the closest thing to match game, which I grew up watching and loved where, you know, you Same. would see Paul Lynn to do something crazy. Right. And, uh, but it was like people sitting around in what felt like a, a living room on a stage, which, which I think was a really great tone that you guys set for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Agreed. Thank you. Thank you. That was it. That is what we set out to do. People were really having a drink if they wanted one on television. Right. It was it was, it right. was a throwback uh, yeah, to old TV and made some really great friends. And there's some really, really lovely people that played multiple times. You know, Yvette Nicole Brown and Anthony Anderson and uh, Tom That's Arnold great. was always... Tom, Tom yeah. Arnold was the best because he would just come on the show, especially 
he, you know, he'd been on the show a couple times and he'd been great. So if somebody had to drop out for some reason, we'd say, Tom, can you bail us out? And he'd always do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's You had your go-tos, your anchors, as they yeah, say. That's right. right. That's right. I'll, I'll tell you my best Jane Lynch story. When I first got to LA, for, I moved here from New York. It was probably like 2003 or something. And I was at Earth Cafe on Melrose, uh, the oh. one in West Hollywood. And, but I think that was the only one at the time. And Jane Lynch was sitting at, at, a, at a table, you know, across the way. And, and I knew who she was because of loving her in, in all of the Christopher Guest movies and, and yeah. everything else. And so she got up and she left with her friend. And I noticed that she took like the coffee mug with her right um and i was i was leaving and so like i paid my bill or I, you know whatever gathered my stuff and i walked out behind her and she and her friend were walking in front of me and uh and so i just decided to go for it i was like excuse me excuse me and she turned around and i said hey you stole that coffee mug and she was like uh, oh my god oh my god and i was like oh, i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and she was like, I need your phone number. I need your name and phone number. And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, hilarious. But, but uh, she she did a great job on that show. And obviously now oh. is is like a, a hosting uh, savant. She's, you know, she's yeah, that's yeah. a big part of what she's building. I'm curious. So you started out at Second City. You did a lot of comedic stuff. Um, and then you did Grimm, right? This comes back to the pigeonholing. What, yeah. did, you, did you start out? I mean, it's the name of the podcast, so I have to ask. What was sort of your, your origin story, your big break moment? Did you start out wanting to do comedy? Was that sort of how you came at this business initially? Or, or you know? know was it was it like early on you knew you wanted to be a writer like how did you kind of find your way to entertainment that's you know I, I did know I wanted to perform uh yeah. you know and, and uh but I didn't have faith in my skill set you know I think I told my my manager yeah. or my agent in Chicago he was sending me to an audition at Chicago Shakespeare and I said who do you want to be more embarrassed <laughs> <laughs> because I am not going to knock this one out of the park. So, uh, but I had audition, you know, I, I, but I did a lot of performing and improv and stuff like that. But what ended up happening is I've got the, I've got ADD. I've got this, you know, like this playful kind of, kind of kitten syndrome where I yeah. can't concentrate on one thing. And I always knew that I wanted to do um, uh, things across the entertainment industry. So if I wanted to be able to write a script one day, if I wanted to, but I did know I wanted to be in this industry. So, uh, but I was always too chicken to move out from Chicago. But once, once I, you know, because Chicago is a great city, you know, and it you is. can make a great, you make a good living and it's comfortable yeah. and great people and great food. And what am I doing? And, uh, but then, but then I had a little taste of Los Angeles and a little, little taste of success. We sold the first two shows we pitched and I thought, shit, this business is easy. I can, <laughs> that's a movie. And then we didn't sell anything for like eight years. So yeah, it, yeah. it was not exactly the path I had uh, I had dreamed of after we sold the first couple. But yeah, I knew I wanted to be in comedy. I knew I wanted to be in entertainment in some way. And uh, and now I'm just so grateful that I get to dabble in so many different things. And um, I hope I keep an energy around trying new things. And, 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 and you know, like, like I've been... Like I've had some success and I've had a lot of the other side, um, yeah. but uh, but I'd still love being here. I love this business and I love what we do and I I can't think of doing anything else. Yeah, it's magical. I, I agree. Yeah. I, I'm curious, like, so you started out as a performer. Do you miss performing or do you still find ways to perform? Like when, what is, yeah. is are you, do you still have that, you know, are you still bitten by that bug? Uh, I am not. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I am not, you know, be, and I think I'm lucky in that way to see the, the the highs and lows of that business from my standpoint. And yeah. 
And there, like all of us, have the the peaks and valleys in our careers. It's not just limited there, but yeah, for sure. I uh, but I think I see that uh, I I don't know if I had the passion to become successful in yeah. on that side of the uh, camera, and I also don't know if I had this. You know, honestly, I don't know if that was my best my biggest skill set. And right. so I yeah. find ways, like you said, to perform in my daily life. Right. Um, at, at Hollywood game to... night at, at Sean's house. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think so. And, that, yeah. and I, I don't do it much anymore. Sean asked me to do one recently that I, for, for a, uh, a celebrity's uh, birthday. And I, and I said, Shit, I haven't done this in years. And it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of know? work. Yeah, I was going to say. It's lot, and so, but I did it and I had fun. Uh, I had a lot of fun, and it was, uh, and I don't know if I do it a lot, but it is fun to dust that off every once in a while. And you know what the best part is, and I think it's the best part about selling grim, or the best part about it's it's when it's the surprise on people's face, like, oh, I thought he was just Sean's business partner. Wait, he's he's yeah. kind of fun, you know, <laughs> or you know when you sell this guy's grim, funny. Like, oh, I, yeah, I thought oh, I thought you guys were the comedy guys, but you just sold a a dark drama, you know, about it's a good features. Feeling, That's right? cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's nice to be recognized that way. That's really interesting. You mentioned peaks and valleys, and I'm really curious about that because I think, you know, um, when you're in the valley, you don't necessarily know if there's going to be another peak, right? <laughs> no, and, and, so, and literally in the valley, you don't know if there's going to be another peak. Right, that's right. You know, that's I'm right. in San you Fernando can, Valley. Through the, through I don't know about... <laughs> the smog and the fog and the... But, you know, I'm curious, like, what kept you going? I mean, and, and this is sort yeah, of a moment yeah. where I, I, you know, I think a lot of our listeners would be really curious. You know, they may have had a, a success or they may have gotten started and now they're in a fallow moment or they're, they're having trouble getting the next thing. Like, what kept you going? How did you, how did you keep the wheel spinning and, and not give up and, and move back to Chicago? go and and you know uh, do something else for a living you know there were a lot of times that I very early on that I thought I was going to go back and I think that yeah. I think part of it I, I mean I guess it's probably silly not to say that part of it is in your own DNA you know are you yeah. a person that's you know that, that you have to your risk tolerance I've just always had a little bit higher of a risk tolerance but I think realizing that a lot of people have peaks and valleys was important to me that that it yeah. you know it's not just constantly a peak, a peak uh, that it's you know there's something about community and a shared uh, uh, motivation to succeed and, and whatever that means to you and i think constantly looking at whatever what my goals are and and adjusting what those goals are and making sure that they're aggressive yet achievable was super important to me throughout my career but then i have this kind of belief in myself that whatever I do, as long as I commit myself to it, that I, I'm going to have success. It just might not be as quickly as we all want it to be, or yeah, uh, it might it, you know it might take, uh, or it might be quick, and then I might have a gap like I did. Um, either way, I think that's just realizing that if you have a passion, that's the most important thing, and and uh, don't let go of that passion because there's plenty of time, you know, to do something that you hate. So why not? Why not? Oh, there is. Oh, there is. Sometimes it's even in this business, but you know, we figure that out and we move on. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. It's interesting. And I mean, I I think, you know, both you and Sean are obviously uh, gay men who are out in Hollywood. Um, I'm curious, you know, uh, how, how was it challenging early in your career to be out as a gay man and, and, or did you feel like you guys got pigeonholed? in that way as well? Or was that not really an issue? Well, I, you know, luckily for me, when I moved out here, I was, I had already had a little bit of a career in Chicago and, and, you know, and I was already a comfortable out gay man when I got here. And then I was in business with 
the out gay man. <laughs> just Jack, <laughs> baby. Just Jack. So, so I think that my path was luckily a little smoother. My, my problems with uh, my sexuality, my problems, my, my internal problems, sharing my sexuality came way right. earlier. So, yeah. so when I, in my career, I, now have we been pigeonholed? Probably, you know, we get, a, but I feel lucky that I get a right. lot of those pitches first. You know, yeah. we, we hear, we, we probably have over-indexed probably in LGBTQ facing things yeah. just because I don't think we can sell seven of them to NBC. So, <laughs> you know, so I feel like I, I, I want to keep have I want to keep having a diverse slate that represent represents yeah. more than just the LGBTQ community. But I'm sure I'm proud that I get to be part of a community that that uh, is embracing of us and that we embrace. And and uh, a big part of our slate is always uh, from and for the community. And I'm curious, do you think it's easier to set up those projects now than it used to be? How is the industry changing in terms of, uh, you know, inclusive projects and, and, you know, projects either by by diverse, you know, creators and or about, uh, you know, LGBTQ and, and other kinds of inclusive yeah. characters? I think it's gotten better since I've been out here. Uh, yeah. I, I think that, so, you, 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 again, it's the, the ups and downs, you know, you, it, it, it comes in waves. Uh, but I, I feel like as a whole, if I had to look at the industry, we have a, we probably have a long way to go. But I feel like everybody's open to, is certainly open to the pitches. Uh, and yeah. and I hope and, and I wish more people would, you know, I, I put some stuff on the air. You know, I think if there's, you know, there, you know that there yeah. are some networks that are more open than others. And, and I hope that we all we get there across the board. But I'd be lying if I said it was it isn't better than it was when I started. And yeah. Uh, even mm-hmm. though everybody loved Will and Grace and loved loved Sean for sure, but Will know, and Grace was, was revolutionary, right? I mean, really at was. the time that Will and Grace came on the air, I remember it. I remember Ellen's coming out episode, right? And uh, yeah. it definitely is a different world now, where Q Force could be part of Netflix's slate, and That's you right. know, um, you know, I, I think even a show like Hot in Cleveland, where you're casting octogenarians, right? And yeah. and yeah. the show is primarily female, uh, you know, that, those aren't easy shows to get on the air either a lot of times, right? They aren't, they aren't. But, uh, I, you know, if you can just get past, if you can get, just get somebody to take a shot on it, you know, it's, uh, the rewards can follow. And, and so I, you know, but, and I also think that one of our filters every time we take out a show is, do we want to watch this? And I think that that's, yeah. Yeah, you know that's our chief filter because there's uh, not our only filter because there are things I watch that I don't know if I'd be comfortable <laughs> producing. <laughs> but <laughs> but, uh, but uh, it is it is our chief filter because and, and then I had missed seeing shows with a multi generational cast. Uh, yeah. um, and I still I still want more of those. If I if I had to say anything going forward is is telling LGBTQ LGBTQ facing stories but also yeah. telling stories of uh, 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 underrepresented people across the board. That's interesting. I mean, I'm curious, uh, you know, what what are you guys working on right now? Is there stuff on the slate that you're uh, super excited about? Yeah, I mean, there's a, you know, we have a very scary show at Peacock uh, that is in contention still uh, uh, called The Reaping. Uh, it's a very fun, scary show. And we have a, you know, it's funny that this, it, I, I have a documentary. And it's all octogenarians, all gay octogenarians. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, if they don't, if they don't kill you before the end of the series, you might die of natural causes anyway. That's right. Uh, so that's your tagline, Todd. I'm glad I could be exactly here for right. you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we have a big documentary on a major music 
uh, pop, uh, a rock and roll star that I can't talk about. But uh, that's awesome. Uh, so, but I mean, but but it's it's. I just wanted to say these three things because it just shows that we're still developing across the board. And the the other right. thing is a a, a multi cam comedy right here at NBC that we've de- we've sold to pi- You know, it's just being written right now, but it's about a uh, a grandmother and a grandson that decide to try to find love at the same time. Uh, because of their situation, and I love uh, it. They just they they kind of kind of Harold and Maude without the uh, without the attraction, without thankfully. the creepy factor, yeah, without the creepy <laughs> factor. Um, but another multi generational story, a documentary, and and a scary show, and so I That's keep great. trying to keep the slate uh, diverse. That's awesome, and you know, you guys also uh, obviously are in the podcast business, um, and I'm really yeah. curious about that because you know uh, I think a lot of our listeners want to understand sort of the economics. It's certainly, now I want to understand the economics behind podcasting. Um, why do you guys do it? Like, what's the strategy there? Is is there a strategy to making podcasts part of your slate? Yeah, I think. Well, when we first started. Uh, you know, we were, we, we helped, we, we were in the uh, early meetings on Smartless and when Sean and yeah. Jason and Will were getting together. Now, we Which didn't is a fantastic up, podcast for anybody who has not listened to it. Uh, go check it out. It's, it's fantastic. Now we don't, we don't produce Smartless. It, it got complex because each guy has a company and it's, yeah. you know, so they, be, they formed their own for, uh, company for Smartless that a, a really great guy named Rich Corson it runs for them. He's lovely and Anyway, so we, so Sean and I said, well, why don't we start a, we should start our own podcast company. And mainly, I think a few people did it because of the pandemic. And, yeah. and that's, I, I guess that I'd be lying if I didn't say that was a portion of it. But also, we thought if there was a way to um, eventually start making podcasts that we could turn into television shows, maybe yeah. that was you know, a strategy for our company. Um, uh, and then also giving people a platform uh, that, that uh, people that we thought were particularly uh, would be particularly skilled at doing a podcast. We uh, right. Randy Rainbow uh, is another love podcast Randy. That we do and, love Randy and uh, and his he's a very unique voice. Sean does another podcast about medical problems called Hypochondriactor right. because he's a hypochondriac. So we we found <laughs> these. So uh, you, we're still learning the podcast business. I mean, three years later, I don't know if I've figured out the economics of the podcast business yet. It was a yeah. you know it's a business that got real big and i think it's it might you know i don't know if it's gonna it's just like the entertainment business it's gonna probably find its way of contraction and expansion and figure out who who's you know who sticks yeah i think you know uh uh, hernan lopez who you know obviously created wondery and then sold it to amazon for a lot of money i think you know his whole strategy going into that business was let's develop things that can be ip that we can then sell for tv and it was a very smart strategy but as it gets more crowded it seems like you know uh you know, the, I don't know how many podcasts people can listen to a lot because drive time in LA is like seven hours a day. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's it's an interesting part of the business. I'm curious, yeah. like, so as a production company, you get a lot of pitches all the time, yep. uh, podcasts, TV shows, whatever it is. What's the most memorable pitch you've ever gotten? Was there a pitch that where they came in the office, uh, you know, and it was just like, whoa, what what am I what am I hearing right now? You know, wow. You know, I hear so many pitches every day and pitches, uh, the pitches have been very unique for all kinds of reasons. Um, and, and I don't want <laughs> the good, the I bad and the ugly. <laughs> the good, yeah. Um, you know, my favorite pitch though, uh, uh, and I thought, and it was a pitch that I ended up being a part of, uh, it was a drama pitch and Sean Cassidy, the, you know, obviously was a, 
a pop star in the eighties, yes. you know, in the seventies yeah, and eighties, and yeah, very yeah. famous seventies and eighties, very famous family. And he, but he's a very accomplished drama writer, and uh, and one of the one of the shows he pitched, he sang a Tony Bennett song in the middle of the pitch. And wow, thought, well, that's fascinating. Is- Did he have the feathered hair? Did he have the feathered hair? Oh, because- he's always got the feathered hair. <laughs> I feel so bad. I was just talking to him recently, and he took up pickleball, and he played for the he played for the, the first time he played pickleball, he tore his Achilles. Oh, shit. Oh, that's not <laughs> I good. Know. That's I know, not good. I, you know, it. I've heard, I, I know a lot of friends who play pickleball, and I hear these stories all the time that pickleball is dangerous, and that's why I'm I don't exercise. You. That's why <laughs> I don't do it, because exercise will kill you. Uh, no, I actually, my wife and I play tennis and, uh, and I've hurt my hip. Uh, and when I say I've hurt my hip, I feel like I'm a thousand and twelve years old, which oh, is alarming, but, um, but that just means I need to go on Sean's new podcast and talk about all my, That's all exactly my ailments. Right. I'm not, we, I'm, I'm sure we've heard a hip story. We've heard a lot of, you know, I think we're getting up to a hundred episodes. So we've heard a lot of, a lot of medical problems, but not, I think you might be the first with hip. Now, that's interesting. Now, there's a show where would you guys then think about how you could craft an unscripted format around it? I'll tell you, when I was at Reveille, yeah. we did a show, uh, I think we sold it to Fox, um, called Diagnosis Live, I think it was called. And we did a pilot where it was like the craziest, rarest illnesses, and a panel of doctors would try to diagnose what this person had and come up with a course of treatment in the live show. It didn't work. It, it, it wasn't quite right. But I, I could right. imagine, I could imagine this podcast could become an interesting, an interesting format. Yeah. I think that that's, that was the one when we, when we first started that we clearly thought this is, this is a, an, uns, an, uns, a non-scripted format. I think that having people come on and, you know, that celebrities that don't mind sharing a medical story has been, uh, funny and educational, but also um, yeah. probably comforting to some people to know that you know that, that somebody has suffered from this and right. and they've gotten through it. And and so I've learned a lot about uh, gosh, so many different conditions. And I, <laughs> and, I, and I think Sean Sean and Sean has them all. <laughs> and Sean has had them all. That's exactly what I was just going to say. Uh, it's, but it's been really fun. And I think that people, uh, you know, medicine is just everybody, you know, I, I know that every time I, I try not to do it anymore, but every time you get a headache, you think, Oh God, you look up the symptoms and you've got, I've got dang, uh, dengue fever. Like I've yeah, not, I've, like, I've never no. been, I've not been anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, listen, tell us about your new YA novel time out. I mean, first of all, where do you find the time? Uh, but, <sighs> but, uh, you know, is this, the, this is the first novel you've written. Is that right? First, yeah. first yeah, narrative well, prose. It is, and it didn't start out that way. We weren't. Uh, we didn't. Our goal was not to write a novel. I, 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 I'm not. I, I am not an. A not, I am not an author. Well, now, I, now I, you I, are. Now yeah, you I are. Guess now I am. <laughs> but what Sean and I, I, I had this idea that uh, you know, because Sean and I knew each other very young, but I was an athlete in high school, and Sean has always been part of the arts. So uh, I thought, well, what you know, well, what let's maybe that's a TV show. Like, what if the best high school basketball player in Georgia comes out at a pep rally. And what is that? What would right. be the ramifications uh, to, in the school, in his family, in the town, in the state? Yeah. Um, and so we set out to make it into a television show because that's what we do. And right. um, and at the time, there was a lot of you know, you know, kind of like young LGBTQ content. And I thought, well, let's not Maybe we should. We wrote the script, and then we thought maybe we should think about turning it into a book. You know, it's because the story was still very important to us, and so we didn't really pitch it as a TV show. But we, 
we talked to Simon and Schuster, and they were kind enough to give us a shot. And uh, and then we uh, we met with a YA author that sp- speaks in a language that's unfamiliar to people that are forty five to eighty one. Um, <laughs> and she helped us craft it into the novel, and that's uh, that's uh, the one that's coming out um, uh, on in May, May thirtieth. That's super cool. And and so it's YA. What is the target sort of age range for the story? I think the target is probably high school, you know, like 13 and up. Uh, and it's, a, you know, it, it really is a coming out story, uh, a family story and a story about two unlikely friends. And that's really the stuff that Sean, that's the stuff that Sean and mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about. And hopefully people can, you know, read a little bit about themselves and and also read a little bit about uh, people that they might know in their lives. And, That's and really cool. Know. And and are you guys um, still going to 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 take the IP and and think about doing a TV project with it, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, probably. You know, but to maybe but TV or or feature because it might yeah. be more of a it might be more of a feature. But, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. think this is an interesting moment, right? Where IP is so important to getting things yeah. done in film and TV. And I think a lot yeah. of people are thinking about what are the other sort of, you know, mediums that we can use to develop IP and to develop a, a following or a fan base, whether that's, you know, obviously podcasts or this novel, uh, even, you know, uh, uh, music artists performing a concert inside of Fortnite, right? And and so there, yeah, it's, right. it's a really interesting world right now where you can develop IP across a lot of different yeah. Uh, platforms. Um, do you think you'll do another another book, or was it was it too hard? <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, I think there might be a, another book in in that story. In in yeah. that you know, in, like a series. A second... Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, but I think that you're right. You know, any way that we can generate our own intellectual property, it might be a little bit easier for us to dive into scripted podcasts. Um, yeah. You know, try our hand at that than it is for another novel. I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time with my eyes off the ball in our traditional business. Uh, right, I, you right. know, I think that the pandemic afforded me the opportunity and Sean the opportunity to sit down and really think about that story. And, um, but I think that there might be other ways for us to generate the IP. And I mean, look, I, 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 I play video games and The Last of Us <laughs> is, you know, is a... That's right. You know, it's just, you're right. It's the, it's, I, I'm looking at my office right now at two, two video games that I have, two stand-up arcade games. And one is... Donkey Kong Jr. and one is Miss Pac-Man, and I thought, well, there's a series. I <laughs> so mean, who knows? Listen, my wife is a Miss Pac-Man. Uh, uh, she, she's a shark. <laughs> she's an absolute ringer. Um, I was more of a Frogger <laughs> kid. I, I could, I could get the frog across all of the the obstacles, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, well, I, I want to ask you before we finish up, I want to ask you, what's the best piece of advice you've gotten in this business? You know, we've been asking people this question and some really interesting things have come up in terms of the advice that kept you going or got you kind of on track. Well, I think for me, and the thing I recommend to folks, because I still get, you know, I'll get calls every once in a while asking if I'll talk to it. Now we're old enough to be talking to friends, kids. That's right. That's right. Um, but I think it's all about the, uh, on the never ending undeniable importance of building relationships. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's when, when you're, when you, when you've got, when things are going good and when things are going bad, the one thing that kept me going was I'd, I'd, I'd make the time to sit down with people from across the industry, friends and new friends. And that's what kept me going. It's just, Sharing stories, sharing successes, and sharing challenges. Um, you know, it's uh, you know we get no's a lot more than we get yeses. That's right. Um, 
And so having that community is, has been so important to me. So I always, say to the, I, I always say to people that there's no one way into the business. Um, my way was a very circuitous, you know, I was in my 30s when I moved here and thought I was going to host Talk Soup and, and, uh, and, and then, but what I did do was kept talking to folks that had, and talking about their dreams and my dreams and, 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 and where we've fallen off the path and where we stayed on it. And that kept, that keeps me going still to, to this day. For sure. Um, yeah. And so try to take the time out to, to be kind to other people. And, yeah. and, uh, and then I think that you'll find that people will be kindness to you and maybe just maybe the universe will bend your way. And, it's uh, interesting, right? I mean, I think it's, it's generosity that you're talking about and it's so easy yeah. in this industry to get completely tunnel vision about like what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And, you know, am I getting this gig and am I advancing my career? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's interesting. One of the things I used to always do is when somebody would get, uh, uh, uh laid off, we shall say when, when they ankled as it get, as it gets called, uh, <laughs> right. I would, I would, you know, that day reach out to them and say, let's have lunch, let's get a drink, like, tell me how I can be helpful. Right. And I, I think, yeah. you know, you know, that's not the time when you get the calls, when, when you've been let go right. from a position. That's not when people are lining up to say, you know, it's when, when people want you to help them, right? So it's, it's true. Yep. You have to, in good times and in bad times, uh, you know, recognize that relationships go both ways, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to switch it up now, and I'm going to talk to you about all the stuff you love watching. What are you watching right now? What's in your queue right now? Well, I just finished uh, The Last of Us. Like I, I think I, you know, and yeah. I, you know, loved it. Uh, I just—it's interesting. Uh, I, it's one of those rare shows where I haven't heard a single person who plays the game ding it. Everybody, everybody yeah. who plays the game is like, I That's love right. the TV show. Like nobody's like, oh, the TV show, man. It's not like the game, uh, which is really a, a, a feat, I think. I, I agree. I agree, and I, uh, I, I am watching Slow Horses on Apple. It just—I just, just started season that. two of that. I just started that. Gary Ullman is so good. I mean, how can you not watch him for days, right? That's right. And then just last night, we were talking about, what should we watch something? And, and I, you know, we just get into all the murder, any murder, you know. And so <laughs> even Dateline, you know, as I remember when yeah. Lester Holt was oh, yeah. our moderator for Grimm at Comic-Con. I said, I said this, I, I can't tell you how much of a hero you have mine <laughs> I can watch Dateline anytime but uh but uh the by the way I don't know if you we... watched it yet but the new Rob Lowe series on a uh, Netflix called uh unstable i think it's called yep, uh that's right he the, one of the one of the you know nerdy quote-unquote scientists in the lab is this woman who young woman who uh, uh has a boyfriend at home and she keeps talking about how their their date night is watching dateline and she's like oh yeah i have to get home because there's a new dateline and my boyfriend will be so <laughs> mad at me if i'm not home for the new dateline <laughs> i can absolutely relate yep <laughs> um, uh, and then i you know last night we were just, just tired of murder so we just caught up on the great british baking show which uh there you go uh, which which talk about the kindness the 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 knives out team is going to do their next film about a murder behind the scenes of the great british baking show because i feel like that's that it's going (laughs) to or christopher guest is going to it's got to be one of those it's time it's it's time time. (laughs) (laughs) what's the last play you saw that the last play you saw that was not something that you you were producing hades town Oh, I yeah, loved we saw it. Hades Town. It was great. 
It was great. Loved Hades Town. Uh, um, uh, I thought the first act was stronger than the second. I'll say that, but I, I no, really yeah. enjoyed it. I really enjoyed I it. And too. we're actually going to too. see the new musical at the Geffen on Saturday night. It's not new now, but it's it's it got a sold out run. I think called The Lonely Few. Uh, yeah, which yeah, yeah. Uh, is supposed to be fantastic. And we actually were just at an event the other night, a fundraising event for a new musical that's opening off-Broadway called Millennials Are Killing Musicals, which is a very good title. <laughs> uh, and they were doing a fundraising event, <laughs> and the, the woman who is starring in The Lonely Few is directing that project. So oh, we wow. got to hear her sing uh, songs from from that new musical, which was a lot of fun. So it's always good to be back in, in like the theater the theater milieu, oh, which is hard to get to in LA, it's it's hard to find. So, yeah, it is, it is. And my uh, my other half is opening a show called uh, uh, Blue at wow. Rogue Machine Theater, uh, starting this weekend. So, oh, that's great. So, some, you know, you know, some theater, yes, the theater's coming back, and uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, All right, well, know, we're gonna I, go check out Blue then. Let's do that. Please, please do, and then. In New York, check out Goodnight Oscar because I, I promise you it's a really lovely night in the theater and not a, not a long one, which is yeah. important to some of us with hips. <laughs> <laughs> with hip issues. With hip issues, uh, exactly. Well, that's a good place to, I think, end this. Uh, thank you so perfect. much for sharing your story of the big oh, break please, with us, course. Todd. Um, of course, you know, you and I you. have crossed paths so many times in this business, but it was yeah. so great to sit down and actually talk about, you know, you and the journey and, and the company and everything else. Really, really lovely. Uh, thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's fun to talk about myself. Uh, no, it's not. I hate it. Uh, but no, thank you. It's just lovely. That's it for this episode of Hustle Up's The Big Break. Please join us for future episodes featuring production company CEOs, producers, writers, directors, and more. Our theme music for this episode was composed by Hustle Up member Lewis Robert King. Thanks so much for listening, and let's hustle up. Hustle Up.